0: Today's episode is a rebroadcast of an interview I did on the TF podcast with Jonathan Blanco. Hope you enjoy it. (laughs)
1: Thank <laughs> you.
2: Welcome back to the TF Podcast. I got a very special guest today, uh, Pierre Richard, uh, one of the leading... voices and uh, educators in the Bitcoin space uh, I'm, I'm super excited to, to talk with him uh, just not only from his uh, Bitcoin knowledge but just overall market knowledge and really what's going on so uh, with that uh, Peter or sorry Pierre uh, interviewed Peter the other day I apologize uh, I love it if you can. you can call me Pedro too <laughs> Pedro Pedro. <laughs> uh, Pierre yeah if you wouldn't mind introducing yourself
0: yeah sure um, so I'm the Bitcoin strategist at Kraken it's one of the leading global exchanges, and um, I've been uh, researching Bitcoin for quite some time now and writing a lot about it. My, my background before Bitcoin was really Austrian economics. Uh, I was very interested in sound money and 100% reserve banking, uh, so that's why I found Bitcoin to be so interesting when I uh, started digging into it. Um, and, uh, now, you know, since, since then I've branched out into more software development and, uh, so I, I, I enjoy that aspect of it as well.
2: Yeah. And do you have a software development background as well? Like on a personal note or.
0: Uh, I'm entirely self-taught uh, because yeah. I got a master in accounting, um, and started learning how to code after that. So Um, If folks out there are interested, uh, I highly encourage them to um, not uh, let their schooling interfere with their education. So even if you didn't get a computer science degree, you can still learn how to code uh, and get up to speed pretty quickly if you uh, dedicate time to it
2: yeah definitely there's so many tools out there nowadays um, th- that you can learn um, and even in just different phases awesome well uh yeah hey, I really appreciate you being on the show I'm super excited to just kind of dive right into all the all the wild and and crazy things that have been happening in the in the global uh, in the world right so um you know of course I'd I love to start out with just Bitcoin overall um, you know one of the things you're you're definitely a, a big proponent when you talk about um, uh, stock to flow and uh, haven assets type stuff. So I'd love if you could kind of just clarify that for folks. Um, when you, when you say um, when you talk about stock to flow or Bitcoin being a stock to flow safe haven, uh, I would love if you kind of just touch on exactly what that means for for those for for myself even.
0: <laughs> yeah, sure. So um, the, the the concept of stock to flow uh, was popularized by Seifedinouz in his book uh, The Bitcoin Standard. Um, and then what happened is that he, he he popularized it from kind of a qualitative perspective of connecting it to sound money and to Austrian economics. And basically the idea is that you have the stock, which is uh, kind of the, the, the total existing um, above ground supply of gold or um, already mined uh, amount of Bitcoin. And then you have the flow, which is new gold being mined or new bitcoin being mined and you look at this ratio over time uh, and bitcoin's ratio is actually improving because uh, bitcoin has a a predetermined supply algorithm uh, where basically uh, when bitcoin first came out it uh, was issuing 50 bitcoin uh, every 10 minutes on average and so Uh, Bitcoin started out with a very low uh, stock to flow ratio. So if you think about uh, the second block, um, you know, the stock was 50 Bitcoin from the first block, and then the flow was 50 Bitcoin from the second block. And so the stock to flow ratio was one. Um, And then uh, when the second block came out, now the stock to flow ratio, or sorry, when the third block came out, the stock to flow ratio went to three. So the higher the stock to flow ratio, um, the bigger the outstanding number of Bitcoin is relative to new Bitcoin being created. Uh, And so the reason this matters is because uh, in in Bitcoin, but also uh, in gold mining, there is a cost associated with mining uh, with the issuance of uh, the new uh, units. And so in, in Bitcoin, you know, that's that's um, a combination of factors. There's the cost of the uh, mining hardware. So in the early days, uh, you could actually mine using a, a normal generic computer on your desktop um, or on your laptop. Right. Right. And you could find blocks that way. Um, so that's 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 one of the costs is the hardware uh and then the hardware has to be uh combined with electricity obviously you've got to have electricity to run this hardware um and so those are the the two kind of um big costs now there are additional costs that people don't really think about um and this is actually fairly common in economics where people don't think about other costs other than the the most visible ones um and in the literature uh this is called transaction costs now people kind of uh, there's not uh you know transaction costs is a technical term in economics Mm -hmm. and what's included in uh transaction costs are things like um information costs so uh the how much effort would someone have to put into learning how to mine, right? Right. right. Um, And so that's a real cost uh, and people people just gloss over it. But, um, so there's a lot of additional costs where you have to, uh, so so there's a search cost. So the search cost is, you know, you would have had to be trawling the internet uh, to happen upon uh, Satoshi's email in the crypto mailing list and be able to Then, like, dig into it and ultimately start mining. That's that was an extraordinarily high cost uh, to to pay, Um, and you know, obviously, uh, people people did. Uh, And uh, there are people who spent decades as cypherpunks, you know, uh, learning about or trying to create digital cash uh, before the Satoshi white paper came out on the mailing list. And so. They paid a very high cost to be the first people to learn about bitcoin um so totally. it's not like they got lucky and it, they got free money or anything like that <laughs> right that's right kind of a myth um and it, it's, it's a myth pro- propounded by by skeptics but in any case um so there's a uh, cost associated with uh mining and obviously that's true of gold as well right you've got to have uh uh big trucks and uh or uh, maybe in the early days you could just go gold panning right uh you could go find a stream out west uh and and then you know that that highlights the costs there as well of of searching uh you had to literally cross the united states uh lewis and clark style which uh you know the 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 risk of death was non-zero
2: yeah
0: in any case uh the um this contrasts this with um, a lot of other currencies, uh, like government currencies, where there's there's basically no cost to them uh, creating more. Um, so the stock to flow for uh, the U.S. dollars, actually, that doesn't matter because there's no cost to the flow. In fact, the Federal Reserve, you know, has, has emphasized that they can create as much USD as, as they want. Right. And they can do that with a keystroke. So. Um, it 's not really a relevant metric for for those currencies, yeah as we 're seeing um, right so, now right
2: so totally yeah
0: yeah exactly it 's completely arbitrary, uh, and then they can they can airdrop that that new money onto anyone and and we actually we we see this in in cryptocurrencies as well there 's cryptocurrencies where it doesn 't really cost anything for the issuer to create more cryptocurrency um it's it 's just kind of arbitrary ledger entries for them um, no. and and so um the, so as the stock to flow uh, ratio is increasing, uh, the the relative scarcity of that asset is also increasing, and the um, the, the ratio between uh, people who have costs, right? So they miners, for example, have to go sell their Bitcoin because they need to pay their electricity bill, um, even if they pay it in Bitcoin, right? There's st- they're still selling Bitcoin in return for uh, terawatts or whatever it is. Right, um, right. And, and so then, you know, you could, you could say, well, the electricity company, they got to sell their Bitcoin, yada to up, up the valued stream there. Um, and so this actually represents uh, a, a, a stubborn outflow of value from the Bitcoin system. And then you have on the demand side, an inflow. Uh, And so that inflow is really, it's driven by Bitcoin's fundamentals, right? So uh, what are Bitcoin's fundamentals? Being permissionless, being censorship resistant, being seizure resistant, and it's sound monetary policy. And this is where we kind of get into a reflexive feedback loop between the supply side of what we were just talking about with stock to flow. And then the demand side, where people are actually interested in acquiring a currency with a higher stock to flow ratio. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, this, this creates kind of a, a, a feedback loop within the Bitcoin system, where Bitcoin's increasing stock to flow ratio actually attracts an increasing number of people interested in holding the unit. Um, and uh, so that's kind of what we've seen over the past 10 years. Uh, and there's, there's quantitative uh, analysis that actually backs this up. Uh, there's a, a, an analyst called uh, Plan B who mm-hmm. was able to find that there's an actual strong relationship between Bitcoin's price and Bitcoin's stock to flow ratio, uh, which is unlike any other relationship. So, for example, you don't see the same kind of relationship between time and Bitcoin's price. Uh, which would uh, right. kind of indicate that there's something special going on there. Um, so that's, that's kind of why uh, Stock Flow is interesting uh, from a qualitative and quantitative perspective. Uh, now, on the issue of uh, safe haven asset, I yeah, think yeah. It, there's a lot of confusion about this because um, a lot of people uh, o- are only used to thinking of money in a debt-based system and uh that that kind of money actually behaves very differently than money in a savings-based system like bitcoin uh there's actually very little debt built on top of bitcoin versus debt built on top of the dollar for example and so uh normally when you when you have a real economic crisis so for example when you have a pandemic Mm -hmm. uh and uh, people need to uh, acquire real resources. So, in this case, masks, ventilators, uh, food, uh, yeah. toilet paper. Um, they need to sell their money, right? They need to um, uh, they, they they need to go spend their money, which means that you know they're selling their money for real goods and services. Um, and so, in that context, all else equal you would actually expect the purchasing power of the money to decrease because there's an increase in competition for real goods and services. And so, uh, you know, people call this price gouging, but really it's just, it's just a free market operating. Right. Uh, and, uh, so you would expect a decrease in purchasing power of the money. So you would expect inflation, um, as people are trying to trade their money for toilet paper.
2: Yeah. When you're say, I'm sorry to interrupt, but when you're saying yeah. selling money, um, I've never heard someone say that. But when you put it in that framework, it makes total sense as to why that could cause, you know, inflation in the aggregate, right? Like it's it's a yeah. really interesting way to put it.
0: Um, and so that's kind of uh, that's in a real economic crisis now. Uh, by 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 real, I mean that it's uh, actually affecting the real economy. Um, Mm -hmm. versus a financial panic a financial economic crisis and that's actually a completely different beast where uh, you have people uh, trying to buy money Uh, they're not selling money they're trying to buy money why are they trying to buy money because their balance sheet is actually uh, filled with dollar denominated liabilities and so they they need to buy money in order to pay off uh, liabilities that are dollar denominated. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, this this is this is just a classic financial panic where uh, the, the safe haven asset uh, is actually going to increase in value, and so you're going to have deflation. Um, now, in in the context of our rec, or of our f- current financial system, it's not just Uh, the money, U.S. dollars, that is in high demand, it's also all of the assets that are uh, dollar denominated and guaranteed by the dollar issuer. Mm -hmm. Because if you have an asset that is guaranteed by the dollar issuer, that means that you can trade that asset for dollars on demand. And so, for example, U.S. treasuries become a safe haven asset in this context because someone who holds U.S. Treasuries knows that they can go to the Federal Reserve and trade those U.S. Treasuries for new dollars. And those dollars can actually go settle any other uh, liability. Um, and so that's why uh, in, in a crisis, uh, in a financial panic, uh, the money is actually a, a safe haven asset in the sense that you're going to expect its its value to increase. You're going to have it. deflation. Yeah. Um, whereas in a real economy crisis, uh, you actually expect inflation in the money, and the money is not a safe haven asset. The safe haven asset is the toilet paper, right? Uh, <laughs> and that's what's increasing in value. Um, and and uh, in, in in the present context, you have both of these... Uh, competing against each other, right? And because we have two simultaneous panics. We have the real economy crisis and we have the financial uh, panic going on at the same time. And so that's why we see uh, these uh, high volatility, right? Because we we have this strong tension in the system and we don't know at any given point which, uh, which, which feedback loop is uh, go, kicking into gear.
2: Yeah, no, that's an that's, that's, uh, awesome dive on that. So when we think of Bitcoin as a stock-to-flow uh, safe haven asset, then essentially, it seems like that has to do with because of, of the, the overall scarcity, right? As, as that yeah, goes well, up. Yeah, well,
0: okay, so to, to bring back uh, to, to Bitcoin, um, Bitcoin exists outside of these two crises. Uh, so, uh, Bitcoin, like there's very few people who are selling their Bitcoin to go buy food. Right. Um, and, uh, that, that's just not like, if you look at the on-chain data, that's just not what's going on. Um, it it really, the price has been driven by short-term traders, not long-term holders who, who are preparing with a rainy day fund. So I didn't think that the real economy crisis is, is applicable to Bitcoin. Um, the, the financial panic side of things Uh, that has a little more impact because there's overlap between um, hedge funds and traders who are dabbling in traditional financial markets and also in Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. And so when they need to get dollars, they have to indiscriminately sell any assets that are on their balance sheet, Bitcoin included. And so that's why we saw a couple of weeks ago, uh, Bitcoin uh, have a, a crash down to um, a little bit below $4,000, um, but then Bitcoin, uh, so now, first of all, uh, stocks crashed to their 2016 levels, I think about, yeah. um, Bitcoin crashed above its 2018 low. So already we see that Bitcoin held its value better than stocks, uh, yeah. which is really interesting. Um, and then Bitcoin recovered very quickly. So now we're, we're above $6,000. Clearly, there's a different dynamic going on for Bitcoin, and Bitcoin exists outside of of this paradigm of uh, the, the 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 inflationary financial system and the 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 uh, the, the, the the COVID-19 crisis, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, what in, in in what is Bitcoin's context? It's the stock to flow ratio, and so we've seen that Bitcoin is still sticking within. Uh, the parameters of the stock-to-flow uh, and price correlation and co-integration uh, that Plan B uh, discovered last year, which is really it, it, it highlights um, something that I've I've thought for a very long time, which is that Bitcoin is in an endogenous um, monetization process. Uh, so when people try to ascribe um, temporary news items, right? That whatever's going on on CNN, and they think that that's what's driving the Bitcoin value, right? The, not just the short-term trading price. Yeah. Um, I think that's that's very misguided of them. Yeah. And, yeah, and I, so Bitcoin's doing its own thing, and it, it kind of exists outside of this system.
2: Yeah, I'd love your thoughts. You bring up great points there. And I'd love to get kind of dive deeper into that because, you know, uh, at the beginning of the year, there was, uh, you know, a crisis going on uh, in terms with Iran. Like, was the U.S. possibly going to go to war with Iran? And that was supposedly going to drive up price. And, you know, there's been all these reasons that why speculators might say that price would, would go up. And it seems like those things didn't impact it. So, you know, you're kind of touching on that. I'd love your thoughts on, to you know, the, the, basically the difference between short-term traders and holders in its potential impact, you know, on price, not from a predictive aspect of it, but like just the rationale behind why people make those types of assumptions.
0: Yeah, I, I think that there's uh, just a general lack of um, long-term thinking in the economy, right? And so that yeah. manifests itself in, in Bitcoin as well. Um, where you have folks who uh, really their their attention span has been shortened uh, by uh, inflation for decades, um, and then add on top of that, uh, you know they're 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 getting um, essentially kind of a denial of service attack performed on them by the media. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people don't understand that uh, journalists make money from clicks. Uh, right. journalists don't make money from uh actually you know uh helping people understand the world and uncovering the truth right. in fact it's 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 very well known within the profession that those are money losing endeavors and that investigative journalism doesn't actually bring a lot of clicks and and it's kind of just people uh journalists do investigative work um a, out of a uh a, an idealism yeah not, like the not pass, their money. own passion yeah exactly yeah. and and I applaud that, but for the most part, the journalist industry um is is very profit driven uh it's it's important to remember that like uh companies like uh Washington post and new york times like they're owned by billionaires they're not uh, public service type organizations or uh, they're, they're not owned by their readership, you know, they're, they're yeah. not like a co-op or something like that. Um, they, they are profit driven and uh, so they rely on clicks and they're also uh, highly political. And so uh, you have to keep in mind that um, there's always an agenda behind these organizations and uh, they're, they're extremely biased. Uh, e- even the ones that uh, claim to not be biased, in <laughs> fact, that just reveals how little self awareness they have and how far they are willing to go in their dishonesty that they're actually trying to claim to be non biased mm-hmm. the The honest ones uh, acknowledge their biases right they They're very transparent and uh, highlight the fact that, hey, look, we don't know everything, and we come to every story with our uh, prior. Beliefs, um, and we're going to be upfront about that. Uh, whereas the ones that are trying to say that, hey, we're objective truth, uh, you know, uh, uh, right away that they're 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 lying from that perspective. So yeah. um, th- when when readers expect uh, journalists to actually um, provide uh, insightful analysis, then they go and trade on that information. Uh, and they then they're surprised that, oh, I lost my money or, oh, something else happened. So to, to really put a pin on it, um, in 2013, there was, um, in early of 2013, in April, there was a run-up in Bitcoin's price to $270. And all of the journalists were saying, oh, this is because of the crisis in Cyprus. Uh, Cyprus was having a banking crisis yeah. and they were doing this bail-in Uh, and people were getting a haircut on on their bank accounts. And and the journalists were saying, oh, there's going to be mass adoption of Bitcoin in Cyprus. Um, But they didn't actually know what they were talking about. Uh, There was no such thing going on in Cyprus uh, Mm. in in terms of Bitcoin adoption. Obviously, there was a banking crisis happening. Sure, sure. Um, And and really what was driving Bitcoin's price was that there had been a halving in 2012. And so Bitcoin scarcity had dramatically increased and that's what was driving uh, the, the, the price. Um, so it's really important to ignore journalists in the space who think that they know what's driving the price. Um, I mean, unless they, they are highlighting the, the stock to flow ratio then, then, and, and highlighting kind of the error margins around that, where yeah. um, short term Bitcoin's price is driven by human Emotion, right? Yeah. The bulls and bears, uh, the the animal spirits in the marketplace, is what driving the, the short term price. Um, and so, when people are panicking about COVID nineteen, that's going to cause the price to to drop, uh, not uh, you know any other uh, factor that journalists might be thinking about.
2: Yeah. No, I think it's interesting. You know, one of the things I appreciate about following you on Twitter is uh, I feel like whenever you provide your Bitcoin analysis, it's it's in this macro form, right? And uh, whereas sometimes you might see other people and they're just like, buy Bitcoin, buy Bitcoin. It doesn't matter what's going on with Bitcoin. They just keep tweeting like, I'm buying Bitcoin today or buy Bitcoin. Uh, so I appreciate your, you know, your your macro view on, on, on the system uh, overall and how you yeah, think there.
0: It's really it's really easy to tell someone buy X Y Z right whether yeah. it's Tesla stock or Bitcoin or some altcoin, um, and it has to be underpinned by some fundamentals. Otherwise, it's just a Ponzi scheme. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. if there are, if there are no fundamentals to to the uh, to the price or to to the purchase of the asset, um, and so yeah, that, I, I I like highlighting Bitcoin's fundamentals because they're really. They're strong and they speak yeah. for themselves.
2: Totally, totally. Yeah, and that's that's funny because, you know, um, I'm definitely uh, on, the, on the Bitcoin side of things and, you know, I, I'm not uh, as well versed, obviously, as you, but the way I think about it for myself personally has always been like, you know, whether Bitcoin goes up or down a thousand points, like it doesn't matter to me because I'm interested in Bitcoin for the long term of it. Right. So, you know, I care about Bitcoin at a one hundred thousand or, you know, as as a long term, uh, you know, asset for me. Uh, so so it's fun. Well, and I'm, I'm not a trader. Right. So may, perhaps if I was a trader, I would care about the up and down of it. But because I'm into it more for um, the HODL, the, the long term aspect of it, it's. Um, it doesn't matter to me on that front you know um so when um you know you know going on that on the on the um bitcoin side of things there's there's often like this comparison to gold right that you're obviously well aware of and it seems as though the comparisons are 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 pretty fair but naturally there's um call it competition or differences of opinions when when people start having that type of conversation right you have People like um, what's his name? What's the guy that's like super gold? Um, Peter Schiff. Yeah, Peter Schiff. Right. You see, you have someone like him who just consistently shits on Bitcoin to like promote gold, and you know, perhaps there's a world in which hey, maybe gold and Bitcoin. I don't know, but I love your thoughts on on what you think about um, one the comparisons of Bitcoin to gold, and then two, like, um, do we have to shit on one to like prop up the other, or is there value, you know, to both? I guess.
0: Yeah, so I think that uh, the the comparisons are are fair in the sense that you have two scarce assets that are um, oops um, that are competing. Um, now the problem I think that people get into is that uh, gold is a very mature uh, asset in the sense yeah. that it's been around for millennia, um, and so just from a raw like okay which is going to have more upside potential. Uh, clearly uh, Bitcoin has more growth ahead of it and right. thus more price appreciation and thus should just be more interesting. Even if, if um, there are scenarios you could imagine where there's an advantage to holding gold versus Bitcoin. For example, um, if the United States or if any you know part of the world were to be hit by an electromagnetic pulse where uh, a terrorist or a terrorist government uh, decided to detonate a nuclear weapon uh, you know, in the uh, stratosphere and cause all of the electronics to shut down in that area. Yeah. Um, probably rather be holding gold than, uh, and, and guns and ammo <laughs> yeah. uh, than, than Bitcoin.
2: Right, and that and that would be like pieces of gold too, right? Because a lot of people when they think about gold, they still have it in its paper form or digital form, right? Yeah, so. if you
0: own a gold ETF, like <laughs> uh, that doesn't help you at all. And really, yeah. I, I would argue you want pieces of silver, right? Smaller denominations. Yeah. Uh, so um, some silver rounds would be helpful there. Uh, Because if you hold a gold coin, you know, one ounce of gold is like thousands of dollars. Um, uh one ounce of silver is like twenty dollars or something, so that's just a much more reasonable denomination yeah um and and then uh the 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 other part of it that I find um interesting to talk about is that gold bugs uh like peter Schiff will will highlight that Bitcoin is not scarce like gold because you can create uh copies of it. So you can create Bitcoin Cash. You can create Got Bitcoin it. Gold.
2: That confu- the conf- the confusion of like the alts, basically, uh, overall.
0: Yeah, and the commingling them. Yeah. Yeah. The the dilution of uh, uh, both forks and alts, and and the competition in the market for cryptocurrencies as kind of being an argument against Bitcoin's scarcity, and um, it's a completely plausible argument on its face. Uh, the, the where it falls apart is that it doesn't um, it doesn't take into account the differentiation that happens in the market between Bitcoin and the its competitors, mm-hmm. um, and and what those uh, what those differentiating processes are. And to me, the most important one is uh, the from uh, a, a monetary economics perspective not a software engineering perspective, but really monetary economics is liquidity. Mm-hmm. And uh, Bitcoin has a huge advantage in how much more liquid it is right. than its competitors. And so someone who wants to enter the Bitcoin market and uh, without moving the price too much, they're going to, you know, they might have like a hundred million dollars and they, they want to buy that much in Bitcoin. Um, well, they couldn't do that with Dogecoin, right? That would cause the price of Dogecoin to go up 50% when they enter the market at T zero, and then when they exit the market, you know, six months later, uh, they would go down 60%. So, yeah, yeah. um, they 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 want a uh, something that has less slippage than that for for from a utility perspective. Um, even if, for example, uh, the the transaction fees of, uh, you know, on-chain transaction fees, like, ultimately, they don't care if it's $30 for Bitcoin and and a penny for Bitcoin cash because the slippage of entering and exiting those positions is much greater than actually the on-chain transaction fee. Um, Mm. And that's something that a lot of uh, commentators miss when they're comparing um, altcoins. So, for example, you'll see XRP marketing say, oh, you know, XRP has a much lower... Uh, cost of transferring than Bitcoin, what they're not including is the the total cost of the operation, right? Where someone has to buy XRP and then they send the XRP and then the other person on the other end has to sell the XRP. Um, And so that's where liquidity is really important. And Bitcoin actually has much greater liquidity than any of the other competitors Um, arguably put together um, because liquidity is not just what's on the order books and the exchanges. That's kind of the tip of the iceberg that is visible liquidity.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Under the iceberg, you have the order book in everybody's brain, right? And uh, you only see those order books when you see Bitcoin's Bitcoin's price crash like Mm $3,800. And that's where... All of this invisible liquidity starts suddenly hitting the exchanges, and you start seeing billions of dollars of volume, and you're like, "Whoa, where did all this money come from?"
2: Got it. Well, so, so p- basically, yeah. people holding it on their own, you know, uh, cold wallet or whatever, and then putting well, it into in the exchange that we were referring to. Sorry.
0: So, so that's that's that that's on uh, the the sell side liquidity. On the buy side liquidity, you have everyone holding uh, dollars in their bank account. Sure, got uh, it everyone uh, that has access to credit, right? So you don't know how many people are, are willing to go get a home equity line of credit if Bitcoin crashes to $2,000, right? Mm-hmm. How many people would really lever up to, to take advantage of that? Um, and then how many portfolio managers have massive bond portfolios where they would borrow billions of dollars against those portfolios to go buy Bitcoin if there was a real flash crash like that? Um, that's, that's the liquidity we don't see on the order books is all of this money and credit, all this U.S. dollar and credit on the sidelines that would flood the market if there is actual a deep discount on it um, due to, uh, you know, s- someone dumping indis- indiscriminately in the marketplace. Um, and so I think that uh, people don't really uh, uh, understand liquidity uh, because most folks don 't understand what a limit order book is right they mm-hmm. they they, they 've got no concept of that um especially when you start uh looking at kind of the sophistication of um proponents of these smaller altcoins. uh the, the Anyway, I won't trash them too much, but yeah.
2: No, no, I mean it's it's fair and it's it's interesting too because one of the mOs of the those smaller altcoins have been like, you know, potentially paying people in their altcoin or, you know, having this utility factor of their altcoin, but as you're saying, if there's no liquidity, you know, where where that that disrupts the overall utility model as well, right? If you if you, you know, if you, you can't get your cash out of that. So, I, I totally agree with that. Um you know when you start thinking about how um a bitcoin 's place in the market and and I, I appreciate that that analysis you know in the comparative um to gold overall um, what do you think it takes for um the broader spectrum or the broader um, call it the you know humans in, in general, you know, uh, those of of, of of us in Bitcoin or in this space, you know, we'd like to say like one Bitcoin equals one Bitcoin, right? Like not one Bitcoin equals whatever it is at right now, 6,000 something. So, um, you know, what I like to say is, We we need or we're we're going to enter a point where companies start demanding Bitcoin, um, you know, for payment, or they want it on their balance sheet, right? And it's like, and that's I think when it becomes really interesting. Uh, Do you think we're in a spot right now where one, a company can demand it? Like, are there the tools in place for them to do that? And then two, from like a the social aspect of it, like, what do you think it takes for them to start thinking in that function?
0: Yeah, so uh, I, I think that the the infrastructure is there, right? They could set up a BTC Pay server instance and start uh, accepting Bitcoin today. Mm-hmm. Um, then I think that there's uh, for the company there there's two ways for them to think about it. It's that either the owner of the company is bullish on Bitcoin and wants to accumulate Bitcoin, and they don't want to pay the fees of going on an exchange and buying the Bitcoin. Uh, mm-hmm. They can save on the fees by having a source of revenue in their in their business that they own. Um, so that, that was, that's one aspect of it. Um, and then the other aspect of it is the employees. So you might have employees that want to be paid in Bitcoin either because they are not in the same uh, country as, as the company, right? They might be working remotely and it might be too difficult to actually uh, pay them in fiat uh, in their country. Mm-hmm. Um, um, or, or they're a supplier, right? Uh, and the supplier wants to get paid in Bitcoin. So there's always like a, a, a cash flow through companies uh, to either the owner, uh, to employees, or to suppliers. And um, once upstream, uh, they are asking for Bitcoin, then you start seeing a downstream effect where uh, there's increasingly demand for, for Bitcoin in commerce. Yeah. Um, now, the, the issue is back to what we were talking about liquidity. It's always going to be the case that Bitcoin's liquidity, um, as long as the the U.S. dollar exists, Bitcoin's uh, primary liquidity is going to be between dollars and Bitcoin, mm-hmm. not between dollars and goods and services. And you know that's just uh, that that's why I see the U.S. dollar as Bitcoin's competitor. Um, not yeah. anything else, really, uh, right. everything else is kind of just doing its own thing <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh so that's that's that that's the uh th- that is the main event yeah. uh the The two boxers in the ring are the u s dollar and bitcoin and so at the margin, we will see uh bitcoin increasingly used in commerce um, there's other advantages too as well uh from uh the perspective of someone who wants to accumulate bitcoin. Uh, if they receive it uh, as payment for goods and services, they can have better privacy than if they have to go onto an exchange and KYC AML and uh, buy their Bitcoins that way. Okay. Uh, because you don't have to KYC AML for uh, the sale of goods and services. So yeah. there's an advantage in, in privacy there. Um, and then it's just, uh, it, the, the, there's, uh, I, I, I like the the experience of actually sending and receiving Bitcoin. Uh, mm. th- there's something really cool about it, and so just the, that <laughs> that aspect of it, where you're not having to rely on a third party, uh, and you're able to have this uh, sense of sovereignty. Um, I, I think that as people get a taste of that, you know, and they might start with them like being like, okay, Bitcoin's gonna go up in value over the next four years. So, like, that's the way they think about it. They leave their coins on an exchange. Uh, To me, to them, it's really a way of just uh, increasing their purchasing power. Um, But then one day, like, they're, for whatever reason, they have to send Bitcoin or they're going to receive Bitcoin from someone else. And then they get a taste of what it's like to actually use the system. And they're like, huh, well. That was kind of hard, but it was also kind of cool. And, and then they get interested in it or they get more interested in the technology and they start reading, you know, Mastering Bitcoin by Andreas Antonopoulos and they actually dig into how the Bitcoin system actually works. Um, so I think that there's like a natural process where if you think about like a sales funnel, you, you've got like the top of the funnel, which to me is like CNBC saying, oh, Bitcoin crashed or Bitcoin popped today up 60% or whatever. Yeah. And that's the top of the sales funnel of bringing in the normies is kind of the, 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 the dollar, you know, the opposite of one BTC equals one BTC of yeah. uh, one BCC equals 6,000 USD. So that's the top of the sales funnel. And then as they're like, okay, well, I'll just dabble in this as kind of a very speculative trading aspect of it. That to me is the next layer. Um, it used to be that the next layer was I'm going to try mining. Uh, but there's not really that ability to mine Bitcoin as an amateur anymore. You know, right. you've got to like have uh, ASICs and, uh, you gotta have a, a data warehouse uh, or uh, sorry, a, a data center to, to do stuff like that. Now. Yeah. Um, or, or dabbling in altcoins, right, where now you can still mine altcoins. And so that might actually still interest people. And, and then that to me is kind of the next layer. And then after that, either they get wrecked uh, trading, whether it's trading Bitcoin or trading altcoins, and then they they kind of become that hobbler of last resort. Um, And then maybe they get wrecked by an exchange getting hacked. uh, And then they they start going, oh, not your Bitcoin, or sorry, not your keys, not your Bitcoin. Um, And and then they start getting interested in, oh, okay, well, how do I actually become a, a first class Bitcoin citizen of running my own full node? Uh, yeah. And building my own hardware, and then now they're really like geeking out and and reaching the the, the pinnacle of uh, Bitcoinism. <laughs> yeah, totally. And, and learning how the decentralized system works. Uh, but I just I just see it as a process, and so um, you have a, a certain population that is at each stage of the process, and which with each day that goes by, uh, some of them go through the funnel further and further along, and and the. A uh, number of people who are hardcore bitcoiners um, is very small, but it's growing every day. Just Tor. as the number of people who are speculating on Bitcoin uh, today, I think it's—they've—they've they've estimated that like eight percent of Americans own Bitcoin in some form or another. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that top of the funnel number is going to continue to to increase. Um, and I th- it's like eighty to ninety percent of people have heard of Bitcoin. So the the absolute top of the funnel there is. Uh, almost the entire population. And right. so now it's just a matter of pulling people through. Uh, and I think that's just a matter of time.
2: Yeah, yeah, totally. It's, it's super interesting, um, just the different entry points that people have uh, to come in. And um, you know, it's super clear that Bitcoin obviously has had the lasting power to you know, get the people that even got wrecked in other places, right? It's like, wait a second, like this is, this is where that, that goes overall. I think uh, I've seen you say Kraken actually pays its employees in Bitcoin. Is that correct?
0: Yeah. So you have the option to receive any percentage of your pay in, in Bitcoin. Yeah. Um, and so, the you know, obviously your your employment contract is in, in dollars uh, and then you can save money uh, by directly getting paid in Bitcoin rather than having to get paid in dollars and then go buy Bitcoin yeah. on Kraken. <laughs> Yeah,
2: that's very cool. That's very cool. Um, You know, going on from the exchange point of view, right? So, you know, there's, there's, it seems like there's a few, there's, there's only a handful of of trusted exchanges, you know, really out there, Kraken being one of them. And, you know, you, you brought this up, right? Like not your keys, um, not your wallet. And you hear about that a lot, right? You hear about different people getting hacked or, you know, even, even quote unquote reputable exchanges. Um, Maybe someone got SIM swapped or those sort of things. You know what are methods that, I mean, is it really just all about that? Like not your keys, not your wallet. Are there other things in place that you know someone should do, or is there a level of trust that will uh, eventually get created within exchanges? From I'm thinking like similar and like the FDIC, which obviously we can debate that part of it too, right? You, you probably saw that info or the the public yeah. service announcement that <laughs> was a little scary, um but yeah, just kind of curious on that part for. Um, I call it the layman, right? The person that is getting into it and, and maybe got mistake of keeping it. What what kind of things are in place for them?
0: Yeah, so from, from Kraken's perspective, Kraken has heavily invested in security and it's always the top priority uh, it, it, at Kraken is security. So anytime that we're talking about a new feature or uh, talking about making changes to the platform, security is number one. Uh, and that's, you know, uh, to me, that's, that's, that's a no-brainer, and that's why I decided to work at Kraken.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: It's the, that uh, is uh, self-evidently the most important thing for an exchange to, to be emphasizing. Um, and uh, something that I, I strongly urge, uh, whether you are a Kraken client or an, a client of any other reputable exchange, um, you should uh, activate two-factor authentication using a mobile app, not using SMS, not using text message, um, but using Google Authenticator or Authy, um, and uh, I also strongly urge people to get a uh, a UB key, um, some kind of uh, physical. Uh, I think it's uh, the standard is called U2F or something like that. Um, but um, Google search YubiKey key uh, Kraken, and you'll you'll definitely find uh, resources on that uh, from Kraken.com um because uh people's accounts don't get compromised if they have a a, a physical key like that mm-hmm. um and the the real danger uh is is uh cybersecurity it's um you know we can talk about physical security uh but you should first lock everything down from a digital perspective because that's where problems happen for the most mm-hmm. part um and so um, and the reason I, I emphasize the two-factor authentication and the, the uh, account security at an exchange is that even if you don't hold your Bitcoin at Kraken, and I, I, if you're not trading, I actually, Kraken and myself, strongly urge you to uh, withdraw your Bitcoin uh, in, in a secure manner uh, to your own private keys, um, and, but even if you are doing that, uh, if someone compromises your account, they could actually uh still you know take fiat and make trades uh, and so um, it's it's really important to to keep that in mind that uh the uh, it, it, you, you got to secure your 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 fiat accounts um, now the other uh part of it is that on on the uh holding your private key side you got to be careful about um, how you do your, your private key security. Um, it's not unheard of that people, uh, accidentally lock themselves out of their Bitcoin because they kind of went too far in their security. Um, (laughs) and so, um, that's where I think that, uh, if, if you're not comfortable with it already, you should be doing research to learn about, um, private key management. Um, and that, to me, is kind of the part of the education process that we were talking about earlier.
2: Yeah. Do you have some good resources for that for the private key management? Do um, that you know of off the top of your head?
0: Um, so I'm always hesitant on this because <laughs> I think that uh, you know it, it opens me up to uh, that's fair. That's totally fair criticism if I screw <laughs> something up. Um, so uh, I think that, you know, there are companies in the space that are trying to address this and, and uh, help people with private key management. So Casa and Unchained Capital, um, you know, those are good resources to turn to if, if you're uh, unsure about how to proceed. Yeah,
2: to look at that. Cool. Um, well, before we end, um, I want to touch on on what's happening in the world uh, when it comes to the COVID-19 coronavirus Um you know, I, I actually tweeted this the other day that you know, you know my my Bitcoin and my blockchain uh, crypto friends basically have been aware of what's been going on with COVID well before anybody else I know, right? And it, it seems like you know, um, it's actually been a saving grace for me personally because it's it's uh, you know, I've been in my house for the last you know, call it three three weeks or so, and um, you know, thankfully everybody in my household is is healthy um but you know i'd love to kind of get your your thoughts on that like why do you think people in in crypto have been aware of this for for much longer um and i don't know if you feel the same way but um you know love your thoughts overall i've also seen like your opinions on you know on your tweets and so forth with kind of how things have been handled like it's crazy that we've been been being told not to wear a mask when it's pretty clear that if you wear a mask, um, that helps prevent the spread. And so what I've been saying is like, Hey, just cause there's a global supply chain issue, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't wear a mask, right? Like you know, th- those are two different problems. So I'd love your thoughts on that overall.
0: Yeah. I, I think that there's, um, a selection bias where the people, uh, in the crypto community are, um, Independent thinkers, <laughs> mm-hmm. so they, you know, they're they're kind of skeptical of whatever the official mainstream media or government is saying, um, and that for the better or for worse, right? Um, yeah. And so uh, there's I've seen like uh, part of the community be like uh, they're 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 totally con- uh, skeptical of the whole thing, right? And they don't even think that coronavirus or COVID nineteen is is uh, a real problem um, and, and then you know there's the more moderate people uh, which I would put myself in that camp uh, who, who do think it's a serious issue and uh, that um, it's it's a big problem but that as you mentioned um, there are serious gaps in the way that governments are uh, and, and health authorities for that matter are communicating about uh, COVID-19 and so um, for example, uh, very early on in the crisis, um, there there was a lot of medical professionals who were saying that uh, people are overreacting to the news coming out of China. Um, whereas, uh, you know, people like Bellagi, um who was a, a CTO at Coinbase and and re, you know more recently started Nakamoto.com. Um, I, I totally forgive Bellagio from Nakamoto.com, by the way, <laughs> uh, after, after this COVID-19 thing. Uh, and uh, so, you know, they, they were looking at what was happening in China, and they were able to see that, hey, there's, this is going to spread, and it's going to become a, a problem globally, whereas um, health professionals and uh, government officials who are very uh, short-term thinkers Uh, We're like, oh, no, you know, this is a problem in China here in the US. It's low risk. Right. And they kept saying that it's like low risk. uh, The bigger risk is the flu. Um, And they were unable to communicate that this is high risk over the coming six months right which would have been the right thing to say is that this is not low risk this is high risk over the coming six months
2: right maybe it was low risk at that exact moment in time but but like you're saying like over the 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 six months exactly yeah
0: And, and they would say it's low risk today but it could become high risk tomorrow. It's like no, it will become high risk tomorrow. We know that. It's like yeah. saying like, uh, it's, it's dark at midnight, but the sun could come up. It's like <laughs> no, we we know the sun's gonna come up. You don't need to say, you don't need to qualify that with uh, hypothetical, uh, you know, tense to it. Yeah. Um, and so what that meant was that uh, uh Western governments were woefully unprepared right? Yeah. And so now we're seeing massive shortages uh, ac- across kind of the supply chain for responding to this. Um, and, uh, you know, people in positions of authority were much busier in January telling people not to panic instead of telling people to prepare aggressively. Right. Uh, and, um, and and it would have been much better if we had had people, um, you know, panicking in uh, supermarkets in January, because the the virus was not there yet, right? Yeah. And so it's okay to have crowds at supermarkets in January. Uh, but in March, now it's not okay to have crowds in supermarkets, right? We right. need to have social distancing. And so it's actually a problem that people are panicking now. And it would have been much better if they'd been panicking in January. And so I think that um government authorities should actually have been trying to promote panic in january um interesting yeah but but they they did the opposite and they were trying to reassure people um uh, and so i think that just really highlights their incompetence uh more than anything else
2: yeah yeah yeah, it's, it's definitely been a crazy wild time and um, it's, it, you know, it's one of those things where like every day it gets a little bit crazier <laughs> uh, overall, but uh, you know, it, it seems as though um, it's still, it's still not a wraps, you know, there's like this wishful, hopeful thinking that it's a couple of weeks or a month and, you know, to me it seems like we're We're in this for at least four months if you think about you know china's response and and how they were and supposedly they're out of it we don't know for for certain but supposedly they're out of it that was two months right and so but two months and they they locked it down really quickly in the us we haven't really we just now locked it down really call it this week so um we'll we'll be interesting to see Well, you know, uh, Pierre, with that, I'd love to, you know, leave it to you if there's anything you want to leave our listeners with or kind of any questions you want people to be thinking about um, as they go about their day.
0: Yeah, um, I I would encourage everyone to uh, uh, learn how to make your own face mask uh, and learn how to run your own full node
2: nice i love it uh, those are t- t- two two uh two things that will will extend your <laughs> your existence <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> awesome hey pierre thanks so much what's uh the best way for people to stay in contact with you or 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 follow you or or, or see what you're up to
0: yeah uh on twitter i'm at pierre underscore rochard uh my dms are open so if you want to chat there, happy to um talk about anything and um Yeah, uh, if you are interested in buying Bitcoin, uh, go to Kraken.com and uh, sign up for an account.
2: Awesome. Awesome. Well, Pierre, again, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Hope uh, we get to meet in person uh, sometime soon, hopefully, <laughs> when all this subsides. And uh, uh, yeah, thank you for your time. We'll we'll talk soon. Everybody listening, uh, appreciate you being here and uh, make sure that you're following uh, uh, the TF podcast so you can uh, m- hear this this interview and all the awesome ones we're doing lately. We'll talk soon. Thank you, everybody.